You are listening to a sermon from MCA Church. To learn more about our community, head online to mcachurch.ca. Thanks. Chris, thanks for for leading us in. Sometimes uh, leading us through announcements uh, is a challenging thing, but Chris, you did it beautifully. Uh, And and so uh, if you were ignoring Chris uh, as he was giving them, well, that's on you. No, but uh, no, hey, bless you. Hey, thanks for being here. Maybe you're you're new. This is your first time in in a church, and I just want to say, hey, bless you. Uh, That's taking a risk, right? Coming to a room full of people like Chris. Uh, is uh, uh, and me, Chris. You're you're awesome. I love you. Yeah. Chris is an amazing person to work with, uh, and uh, he has such a heart for community, for the family of God. Uh, and I'm so thankful that you're our family ministries pastor, because our families need people like you and Alicia and your family. And so thank you. Uh, and I'm not just saying that because I just made fun of you, but uh, hey, I I I I mean them both. Uh, and so yeah, exactly. Yeah, bless you. Hey, uh, you know, um, as a church, we just don't want to get into a building and, and sort of just go through the motions. I don't want to, and I'm sure you don't want to either. It's not what the Lord has for us. And so as a church, uh, as a leadership, we've been praying. It's like, Lord, where do you want us to, to dial in? Where do you want us to invest in our lives? Where do you want us to grow this year? And two things came to the surface to our, for our leadership. We want to grow in learning to hear the voice of God in our lives. Uh, because we believe that he speaks to us. Uh, he, he wants to direct our lives in tangible ways, right? And we want to be people who, who know what the voice of the Lord sounds like. And so that's the first thing. The second thing is we want to grow in being people who are joining God's mission here in our city and across the world. We, we want to live lives that, that are meaningful and effective for his kingdom, And so these two things uh, are are things that we want to press into this year. And so in the fall, we've decided to to, to really put our focus and attention on learning to hear the voice of the Lord in our lives. And one of the ways that we're doing that is through our sermon series uh, called Listening for God, because we want to grow in learning to hear the voice of God in our life. And over the last couple of weeks, we've we've been learning about how Jesus speaks to us, right? that Jesus speaks through his Holy Spirit. He speaks to us personally. He speaks to us scripturally because the Spirit doesn't go off script. (laughs) And and, and we've been learning the reason why Jesus speaks is because he wants to draw us into a closer relationship with him. Right? On the cross, Jesus goes through this great act of sacrifice in order to take the sins of the world upon himself, my sin, your sin. And in effect, what he's done on the cross is he's made way for us to be forgiven of our wrongdoing. And because we've been forgiven, as we attach our lives to his, it's as though he cleans the vessel of our heart. He cleans it in such a way where the holy God can now live in unholy people. And he empowers us to be his redemption people of love here in this city and the world beyond. It's what we're learning about, and we want to learn to hear his voice in our life to greater effect. And so this morning, I simply want to walk you through a story in 1 Kings chapter 19. It's the story of Elijah. Uh, In fact, I'm probably going to not just stay in chapter 19, I'm going to go to chapter 18 and, and, and all around. 
But I want to invite you into Elijah's story because in it, what I see is someone who is learning to hear the voice of God even in the ordinary, in the mundane, in the day in and day out stuff of life. There's a message to be heard at the end of Elijah's story. And so in some ways, the point that I have to make is at the very end of the sermon. So you can go to sleep now, wake up in about 30 minutes, and you'll, you'll get it. No, there's gold all along. But what I want to invite you to is to turn on your imagination. I don't have any stories from my life. I don't have any uh, witty kind of jokes to kind of tell. Well, I'll maybe throw a few in there for you. <laughs> I want to invite you to turn on your imagination about Elijah's life because in it we see some things that are important about listening for God in our ordinary lives, our mundane lives, our everyday lives. So turn with me to 1 Kings chapter 19. I'm going to begin in verse 3. It's on page 247 of the Pew Bible, but if you have a device, you can turn there uh, as well. 1 Kings chapter 19. I'm going to jump in to verse 3. And then I'll read to verse 16. Hear the word of the Lord. Elijah was afraid, and he ran for his life. When he came to Beersheba in Judah, he left his servant there, while he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness. He came to a broom bush, sat under it, and prayed that he might die. I've had enough, Lord, he said. Take my life. I'm no better than my ancestors. Then he lay down under the bush and fell asleep. All at once, an angel touched him and said, Get up and eat. He looked around, and there by his head were some baked uh, bread baked over hot coals and a jar of water. He ate and drank and then lay down again. The angel of the Lord came back a second time and touched him and said, Get up and eat, for the journey is too much for you. So he got up and ate and drank. And strengthened by the food, he traveled 40 days and 40 nights until he reached Horeb, the mountain of God. There he went into a cave and spent the night. And the word of the Lord came to him. What are you doing here, Elijah? He replied, I've been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, torn down your altars, and put your prophets to death with the sword, and I'm the only one left. Now they're trying to kill me too. And the Lord said, Go out and stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord, for the Lord is about to pass by. Then a great and powerful wind tore the mountains apart and shattered the rocks before the Lord. The Lord was not in the wind. After the wind, there was an earthquake. But the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake came a fire. But the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire came a gentle whisper. And when Elijah heard it, he pulled his cloak over his face. And he went out and stood at the mouth of the cave. And a voice said to him, What are you doing here, Elijah? He replied, I've been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. 
The Israelites have rejected your covenant, torn down your altars, and put your prophets to death with the sword. I'm the only one left, and now they're trying to kill me too. And the Lord said to him, Go back the way you came. Go to the desert of Damascus, and when you get there, anoint Hazel, king of Aram. Also anoint Jehu, son of Nimshi, king over Israel, and anoint Elisha, son of Sherat, from Abel, Meholah, to succeed you as prophet. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Jesus, uh, there's so much about Elijah's life that's spectacular. (laughs) But there's so much that's ordinary. And so I pray today that you would speak your words that teach us how to pray, that teach us how to listen for your voice, that teach us what you want to say to your church this morning. And so I pray you'd move me out of the way and that you would speak to your people. Through this text, at this time, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So, Elijah. We, we meet Elijah as I enter into the story here in chapter 19, and Elijah is in the valley of Beersheba. Uh, it's a valley that's about 120 kilometers south of Jerusalem. Uh, and and he, so he's in this, this physical valley, uh, but he's also in a metaphorical valley as well. Uh, Elijah's at a low point in his life. Uh, look, verses 3 and 4, they set the scene. It says, Elijah was afraid, and he ran for his life. And when he came to Beersheba in Judah, he left his servant there while he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness. Right? He's on the edge of a desert. He's in this physical valley in Beersheba, but he's also in an emotional valley. He's on the run for his life. He's he's afraid. And the question is, why? Why is Elijah afraid for his life? Why is he on the run? Why is he in this valley? And the answer to the question comes in what precedes it. We should understand that, that Elijah was a prophet of God at a time when the people of God, the nation of Israel, was led by a horrible king. I mean a horrible king. His name was King Ahab. And he ruled over God's people alongside his queen, Jezebel. And now, just listen to this. 1 Kings chapter 16, it describes the kind of king that Ahab is. It says that, that Ahab did more evil in the eyes of the Lord than any of those before him. Okay, you don't put this on a resume, all right? Right, it says that he did more. I told you there would be a joke or two in there. He did more to arouse the anger of the Lord than did all the kings of Israel before him. Look, Ahab was a bad dude. He was a bad king for multiple reasons, but one of the greatest reasons uh, he he was a horrible king was he led the nation of Israel astray, away from the worship of the one true God. The first commandment that, that God gives to his people is, don't have any other gods before me. And the reason for that is because they're not gods. They're, they're empty. They're lifeless. They have no power, and there is no life following them or in them. So don't do it. And so Ahab was infatuated with the god Baal. 
And so he went around, uh, went around the nation of Israel and he, and he tore down altars to Yahweh, the one true God, and, and, and put up altars to, to Baal and Asherah poles where, where they could worship this God of prosperity, the one who was supposed to bring prosperity to the earth. And Ahab, uh, so he, he, he was a bad king. He was leading God's people astray. And his wife Jezebel was even more zealous for the cause. She went to the extent of hunting down the prophets of God in order to have them killed. She wanted to eradicate uh, the, the, the worship of Yahweh altogether. And so she went uh, around killing the prophets of God. These were dark days for the people of God. They were dark days for Elijah, a prophet. <laughs> and so we find him at this point in the story. He's in the valley. He's in a physical valley on the edge of a desert, but he's in an emotional valley. He's praying out prayers of despair. And what's really surprising here, when we read this story in 1 Kings chapter 19, is that we find Elijah in the valley. Because in 1 Kings chapter 18, the chapter before, he has just come from a mountaintop. Yes, not just a physical mountaintop, but a metaphorical mountaintop. He has just had this mountaintop experience of God's power and his presence. It's what happened just a few days before. And so we're, we're left wondering, what is going on here? Do, do you remember what happened on the mountaintop in chapter 19? Maybe you do, maybe you don't. It's, it's Mount Carmel. Let me recall the story for you. It was the third year of, uh, of a great drought that had come upon the land. God had made a drought happen because he wanted to bring judgment against King Ahab for, uh, for leading God's people astray and his poor leadership. And it's three years into this drought that, that God directs Elijah to confront King Ahab and to expose him as a poor leader, but also to expose the God that he served that was powerless uh, and so God directs Elijah to kind of uh, uh, confront Ahab, and the way that Elijah goes about doing it is he sets out up this scene on the top of Mount Carmel that resembles the shootout at the OK Corral. You remember this one? Essentially, he sets up this scene where he says to Ahab, now, Ahab, you bring the prophets of Baal, and they set up an altar. Uh, and then I, as the single prophet of Yahweh, the living God, will, will set up an altar. And we will pray to our God, and whoever, whichever God answers by fire will, will show themselves to be the true and living God. <laughs> and so early in the morning, Ahab, along with 450 of his prophets, they gather together, they, they put stones and wood on this altar, uh, they make a sacrifice, and they begin to petition Baal to come and answer by fire. They sing and they dance and they petition their God for an hour and then two hours and then three hours and, and it's about the middle of the day at this point and still nothing has happened. And, and, and what we need to know about Elijah a little bit is that he is a bit hot-headed. <laughs> he, wasn't, he wasn't a nine on the Enneagram for any of you that follow that. <laughs> he was zealous, he, he was passionate and he was a little bit cheeky. <laughs> And so he said to the prophets of Baal, you know, maybe you're not dancing hard enough. 
You know, maybe you're, you're not singing loud enough. It, it seems like you need to ramp it up a bit because your God is not listening. And so, and so the 450 prophets of Baal, they begin to sing louder and dance uh, with greater effect and energy, and they begin cutting themselves as they petition Baal to answer by fire. It goes on for another hour, another hour, another hour, and by the end of the day, when they are done their petition to the Lord, there's only silence. The text says in chapter 18, there was no response. No one answered. No one paid attention. But then Elijah, the single prophet of Yahweh, he repairs a few stones around the altar, puts some wood with a sacrifice on it, and he orders that a bucket of water be brought in and poured over the altar. Remember, it's the third year of a great drought. A bucket of water, not just one, not just two, but three. Everything's drenched, the wood, everything, the sacrifice. There's water pooling around the altar. And Elijah steps up and he prays a simple prayer. He says, may it be known today that the Lord is the God in Israel. And immediately. The fire of heaven falls on the altar. It burns up the sacrifice. It burns up the wood. It burns up the stones. It scorches the earth, and it wicks up every piece of water that lay on the ground. And you can imagine, this is a spectacular scene. It's a mountaintop experience. Uh, and, and the people who were there that day, the nation of Israel, the people who had turned their hearts to the worship of Baal, they were cut to the heart. They raised their hands, and, and they started to say, Yahweh, he is God. Yahweh, he is God. I mean, could you imagine being there? Could you imagine being Elijah in that moment? A simple prayer, calling the fire of heaven to, to the earth to confront an evil king and seeing the hearts of hundreds of people return to the Lord. I mean, talk about a mountaintop experience. He knew the presence and the power of God in that moment. So why on earth, when we come to chapter 19, do we find him crying out these tears in the valley? Why the change? How can Elijah go from praying down fire from heaven to crying out tears of despair in the desert? I think it's because of something we all experience. Right? We easily forget what God has done on the mountaintop when we're faced with the valley. We, we often forget God's goodness when we're facing times of trial and difficulty. We have this kind of amnesia where we forget what God has done in the light when we are faced with darkness. And I wonder if that's ever happened to you. It's where we find Elijah. He's been on the mountaintop with God. Now he finds himself in the valley, in a dark place in his life. And he cries out. And, and what does God do? God answers Elijah's prayer in the valley of despair. Right? He sends a messenger to help him remember who God has been. He forgot in the dark what God had done on the mountaintop, so God sends a messenger to remind him of who God has always been. Look partway back, uh, 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 partway through verse uh, 5 as we look at the text. 
It says, all at once, an angel touched Elijah and said, get up and eat. And he looked around, and there by his head was some baked bread over hot coals and a jar of water. He ate and drank and then lay down again. An angel appears. And now in the Hebrew language, angel can be translated as messenger. God sends an angelic messenger to Elijah, and he brings him bread and water in the desert. Now, there's an important detail that we might miss here that I want us to catch. We need to understand that, remember, it is the third year of a drought. This day happens the third year of a drought. There were many days that came before it. And for those three years, Elijah was on the run. He was hiding from Jezebel. He had to live in, 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 in crevices and cracks and different places as he, as he tried to get away from the pursuing armies that wanted to kill him. And for all of these years of the drought, material food was scarce. And do you know how God sustained Elijah's life for those three years previously? He sustained him through a miraculous provisions of food. Right? We read in the first phase of this journey for Elijah that he uh, is, is told to hide by this ravine and there's a river running through it in the midst of a, a drought, which is rare. And he drank water from the river, but more than that, ravens would bring him food to eat. <laughs> he was sustained by the miraculous provision of God. Then in the next phase of his life, he, he, he meets this widow who, who only has a little bit of oil and a little bit of flour in order to make, or grain to make food. And he asks for some, and she says, I don't really have anything. I've got nothing. And he says, well, just make bread. And she made bread day after day after day after day from the oil and from the grain. It didn't run out. God provided for Elijah through a miraculous provision of food. For three years. And so here in the valley, as Elijah has forgotten what God has done in the past, he reminds him through an angelic messenger. <laughs> he provides again. It's like God was saying to Elijah, Elijah, I want you to remember who I am in this moment. I want you to remember what I've done for you in this moment. Remember. Church, I don't want us to miss this detail when it comes to learning to hear the voice of God in our life. When we remember who God is, when we call to mind uh, how, how he has previously met us in our lives, when, when we remember all that he has done and, and all the ways we've heard him and experienced him in the past, it's, it's like we're hearing his voice afresh today. In other words, when we recall who God is and what he has done in our lives, it's like tuning into the voice of God afresh. Right? When, when I remember the times in my life where God has provided for my need, it's like God saying, Keith, I'm still your provider. And when I remember the times where God has, has rescued me from, from things that, that hold me in darkness and death, it's like God saying, Keith, and I am still the rescuer. 
When we remember what God has done in the past, it's, it's like hearing his voice afresh in our present. He speaks to us through it as we remember. Psalm 119 says, Your word, Lord, is eternal. 1 Peter 1.25 says, The word of the Lord endures forever. Which means that the words that God has spoken to us in the past, they have significance in our present, for they are eternal. They endure forever. Remembering is a way of listening for God's voice in your life. It's a practical way of listening for God's voice in your life. The nation of Israel, over and over again, they would celebrate year after year all these feasts and festivals, right? They had Passover and and they had Pentecost and they had the Feast of Tabernacles or Booths. They had all of these these feasts and festivals and all of them were designed to help Israel do what? To remember. To remember what God has done. Because when we remember, it's like hearing his voice afresh in our present that moves us into the future. And on the night that Jesus was betrayed, he took bread and a cup and he gave thanks and he gave it to his disciples and he said, take this meal in remembrance of me. Remember me. Because when we remember what God has done in our life, it's like God has a fresh word for us in our presence. And so church, when you pray this week, a real practical thing, why not you pray prayers of remembrance? Why don't you pray out and say, Lord, I remember when you did this in my life. Or, I I remember when you spoke these words in my life. Or, Jesus, I remember when you did this in the life, life of someone in Scripture. Or, I remember when you spoke these words in Scripture. And as you pray these prayers of remembrance, allow God to use your remembrance as a way of speaking truth into your present. Because when we remember what God has done in the past, it's like giving ear to what Jesus might want to say to us in the present. And so this is where Elijah is. He's, he's in the valley, and, and, and he's crying out a prayer of despair, and God answers by sending this angelic messenger and essentially saying, remember, remember, I'm the sustainer. And he moves Elijah forward. Verses 8 and 9. So Elijah got up. He ate and drank. He was strengthened by that food, and he traveled 40 days and 40 nights until he reached Horeb, the mountain of God. There he went into a cave and spent the night, and the word of the Lord came to him. What are you doing here, Elijah? Elijah's strengthened by the Lord's provision. He picks himself up, and then he travels onward. And and do you notice where he goes? He goes to a mountain, Not just any mountain, he goes to the mountain. This is Mount Horeb. Uh, Maybe you know it by its more common name, Mount Sinai. This was the mountain that that Moses went to to meet with God and and saw him in the burning bush. It was the mountain where where the people of God became the people of God. The covenant was cut. The, The Ten Commandments were given. This was the mountain that represented all of God's presence and all of God's power. And it's where Elijah goes. 
And so I want you to just notice Elijah's journey thus far. He prays the fire of heaven down on the mountaintop. Then he prays tears of despair in the valley bottom. And now he sets his sight on the mountain again, God's mountain. The question is why? Why go there? Isn't that the question that Yahweh, the living God, asks him in verse 9? What are you doing here, Elijah? In other words, why have you come here? Now, I don't think God's voice is condemning here because God doesn't condemn. He's not saying, why have you come here, Elijah? (laughs) What are you doing here? His voice is inquiring. Why have you come here, Elijah? His voice is compassionate. What have you come for? Church, do you know long before we pray to God, God has said something to us? That God speaks first and all of our prayer is an answer to him? Eugene Peterson calls prayer answering speech. And could it be that this is a question that God asks us every time we come to him in prayer? My child, why have you come? What are you here for? See, our God cares about the details of our life. He cares uh, about the challenges we face. He cares about the day in and day out ordinary things of our life. And so perhaps when you pray this week, in a real practical way, you, you might begin with tuning your ear to a question that the Lord is asking of you. (laughs) My child, why have you come? What are you here for? It's a beautiful question, but it reminds us that, that we're not the first ones to speak, that God has already spoken over us as we come to him in prayer. And so for Elijah, God asked this question, He asked the question, Elijah, why are you here? Why have you come here? And I think that the answer is is quite obvious why Elijah's come there. (laughs) He's come to seek the fire. He wants the power and the presence of God again, right? He knew it on the mountaintop in Carmel. uh, And and so in the valley, he's thinking, the next place I want to go is back to the mountaintop. But I'm not going to go back to to Carmel. I'm going to go to the mountain, the place where God's presence and power is, is its greatest because this Jezebel is a force to be reckoned with. And someone needs to put her in, in her place. And so, so Elijah is going to this mountain, I think, because he wants the fire of God to fall from heaven to fix all of his problems. And so Elijah, he prays for God's fire. And as he does, look, verse 11, as he prays for God's fire, a great and powerful wind tore the mountains apart and shattered the rocks. And I can imagine at that moment that Elijah's rubbing his hands together, right? (laughs) He's thinking, okay, finally, the fire's coming again. But the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, there was an earthquake. Here comes the fire. The Lord was not in the earthquake. 
And after the earthquake came a fire, finally the fire. But the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire came a gentle whisper. And when Elijah heard it, he pulled his cloak over his face, just like Moses did. Because the Lord was in the whisper. See, Elijah asked for the fire of God, but what he got was God's whisper. He asked for the spectacular, but what he got was a still, small voice. The reality is sometimes the things we pray for, the things we ask for, it's not what God gives us. We want his mighty hand, his powerful hand to fix all our problems, but sometimes what he gives us is his face, his person, intimacy with him, a word, a still, small voice. Sometimes what we ask for isn't what God gives us because God gives us what we truly need. And here's the thing, church. The fire of God... (laughs) It inspires our faith. Mountaintop experiences, they, they, they in, inspire our faith. But it's the whisper of God that sustains us as God's people. The mountaintop experiences, uh, we've all had them with God. They're, they're powerful. They fill us with passion and excitement for the Lord. And maybe, maybe you went to camp as a kid, or maybe you're here as a youth and you went to camp, and you experienced the, the presence and power of God in your life. Maybe as you worshiped with your friends around a campfire, And you felt his presence, and it's a a powerful and beautiful thing. Maybe you've been in a worship setting, or you've been to a conference, or or a concert, or uh, or maybe you've been to like a, a renewal weekend, and you felt this tangible presence of God, the power of God unraveling something deep in your life. It's powerful. It's beautiful. We we've been on the mountaintop. We, we all know what it's like to be in that place. The fire of God inspires our faith, but it's the whisper of God that sustains us in our everyday lives. You see, it seems to me that we spend most of our lives somewhere between the mountaintop and the valley bottom, right? We've lived on the mountaintop. We know God's power, His presence. We've felt it. And we've been on the valley bottom. We've prayed tears of despair. We, we've, we've called out for God's angelic messengers to, to pick us up and move us forward. And though we don't feel it in the moment, we, we realize afterwards that God has actually done that. We've been on the mountaintop. We've been on the valley bottom. But guess where we spend the most of our lives? <laughs> Somewhere in between. We spend our lives doing dishes and driving our kids from one activity to the next. We spend our lives changing diapers and water filters in our refrigerator and our profile picture on Facebook. We're stuck in traffic. We're buried in paperwork. We're, we're doing dishes and homework and housework and taxes. We're mowing our lawns. We're cooking meals, attending meetings, visiting friends. We're checking our social media We're making TikTok videos. I've never made one before, but uh, it's for you teenagers. (laughs) Right? We, We spend our lives most somewhere between the mountaintop and the valley bottom. And here's the thing, church. If we are ever going to make it as the flourishing people of God, 
We need to learn to hear the gentle whisper that sustains us in the life between the mountaintop and the valley bottom. It's how God sustains his church. He whispers to us in the ordinary moments, the mundane moments of life. He wants us to hear his voice in those places because it's where we spend our life. And the question is, in the in-between, are you able to quiet your life down enough to hear the whisper of God's voice? It's the most important question. And we, we need to be honest with ourselves, right? Like Life is loud. Our lives are, are really loud. They're loud because they're loud and they're busy. And here's the hard reality for all of us who really want to cultivate a deeper and more meaningful relationship with Jesus. If we want to do that in the ordinariness, in the in-between place, we need a space in our lives that we can quiet them down enough to tune into the gentle whisper of the God who speaks. We need a space and a place. I read in a book once that the, the inventor, um, uh, Thomas Edison, that, that he had a thinking chair. He would go to this chair in order to be inspired for his next invention. And I, I've heard that Alexander Graham Bell, he had a dreaming place that overlooked the Grand River, and, and he would dream about his inventions. You see, these two men, they both had a time and a place that inspired their minds. And the reality is that the same is true for us who want to learn to hear God's voice in our life. We need a time and a space, a place to listen for God's whisper. We need a meeting place. You see, I, I don't think that we will ever learn to hear the voice of Jesus in our lives in greater measure than we do today than if we have a place to meet with him. It makes sense, right? We want to live effective lives for Jesus. We, we want to leave, live meaningful lives. <laughs> but that meaning comes and that effectiveness comes as we learn to listen for the voice of God in our everyday, ordinary lives. It doesn't just happen by osmosis. It certainly doesn't just happen like that. Because God wants us to live in deep dependence and relationship with and he sustains us through his voice. And so the question is, where's your meeting place? It can be as unique to you as anyone. I, I read the story of Susanna Wesley, and Susanna Wesley was the mother of uh, John and Charles Wesley, uh, two of the greatest and most influential uh, 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 people in the 18th century church. And Susanna Wesley, she had, okay, get this, she had 17 children and no television, obviously. <laughs> 17 children. I mean, talk about trying to find a, a, a quiet place to hear the voice of the Lord. And you know what she would do? She would pull her rocking chair into the middle of the room, and she would pull her shawl over her head like a tent of meeting with children all around. And it was her space, her time and space to meet with the Lord. And the point is, it's going to be unique to you. And it can happen in the midst of the busyness of life, but the point is we all need a time and a space to tune our ear to the gentle whisper of God who speaks to us. So church, as you pray this week, four things. First, find your meeting place 
Second, hear the question God is asking you. What are you doing here, my child? Why have you come? And then respond. Third, tell him what you remember. Tell him what you remember about what, you've, what he's done in your life, who he is and who he's been in your past. And then finally, listen for the gentle whisper of God. Let's pray. <laughs> Jesus, you, lo- you love us. <laughs> It's why you speak in the first place. You love us. You want to draw us into a greater sense of that love. But you don't simply want to draw us. You want to draw this, this entire world that is yours. It was created by you and it's created for you. And you want it back. You want all of us back. And so Jesus, I pray right now for those who are in the room that you're speaking to them even right now and you're saying, I want you back because you're my beloved. And if in your heart you know that Jesus, that's for you, that Jesus is speaking those words to you, I want you back, know it's because he loves you. And you can respond simply even in your mind with your eyes closed saying, Jesus, <laughs> I give my life to you afresh. And Lord, I want to pray for our church. I pray that in the days ahead that, that we would be people who, who know you in the in-between. We've experienced you on the mountaintop. We, we, we've known your rescue on the valley bottom. And we pray, Jesus, in this space in between, may we be people who hear your voice and that you, Lord, would move us forward to be your people in the city, to be the church in every sense of the word. And so, Lord, we thank you. We thank you for the example of Elijah. We thank you that your word is everlasting. And we pray that you would lead us in the days ahead to be people who hear your voice. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.